of Texas wide receiver Brennan Eagle saying, I won't play another snap amid racial injustice. I mean, could you imagine just even back in February when the Super Bowl was going on, um, you know, a player feeling not only saying these things, I mean, I would argue that he'd be ridiculed and, you know, like looked at it as a pariah and a bad teammate, but now he's actually being supported by his head coach, Tom Herman. Um, so I don't know, you can take that another Marvin Wilson standing up to his head coach, Mike Norvell at uh, Florida State. You're seeing former Clemson players uh, point out the the, the n-word uses the the use of the n-word in 2017 at Clemson in a way that uh, wasn't even disciplined by Dabo Sweeney you're seeing Dabo Sweeney wearing a football matters shirt and shirt I mean going Dabo he may have just worn that shirt and had it for years but it certainly seems like it, the timing is suspect to say the least you're seeing Iowa football players starting to former players James Daniels the Chicago Bears say talking about the culture there you know, that's one of the few major programs where it is a majority white culture. So, I mean, just talk about how you and I come from a sports background, like how crazy it is. So people, it's easy to get jaded, pessimistic. But, yeah, you're right. It's not the revolution. It's not like uh, we're going to be having a, a society where militarism suddenly um, it stops, where suddenly we have programs of social uplift, where we have uh, we take on the issues of corporatism and education and healthcare is a human right for everybody. But this loss of like the fear that is like felt had players in straight jackets especially in football and we're highlighting football because of its and let's be honest it's like the most uh you know popular sport in the united states and i i, I love football well, kind basketball, of, baseball but yeah you know just just what are your general thoughts about well, kind of to my point fear? even when you were talking about michael jordan i mean even like let's say you know republicans buy sneakers the rhetoric of him being apolitical i mean we'll see what the movement has done he made a pledge you know, whatever BS it means, and I don't know what that means, but, you know, he made a pledge to donate $100 million over 10 years to racial justice organizations. I mean, that shows that he's kind of, um, the movement has made him sort of, and, and maybe from, from from the documentary, he kind of sees his legacy compared to LeBron James. LeBron James being right. more of a social activist and taking more stances. Jordan always being kind of the apolitical person who just likes right. to make money. Um you know, it was a funny story. Even a couple of years ago, I think there was a crisis in North Carolina um, and there was a police shooting in which he, he was like, I'm going to give a million dollars to the NAACP Legal right. Defense Fund. Right. I'm going to give a million dollars to the International Chief of Association right. of um, Sheriffs. But, some benevolent, sheriff. benevolent Police Association. <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell, man. We, we know what you're trying to say. Come on. That, was his, that was his like, all size yeah. type of compromise. But, all, you know, his all lives matter rhetoric. All right? lives matter, yeah. whatever that means. But I think it's, I mean, I think, you know, even, I mean, as a black man, I mean, he still is an African-American man. And I think right. even him, he can't, he, he can't not see the, the video of George Floyd being murdered. So I think that has an impact. Right. And I think even his consciousness has changed, well, even as a multimillionaire. But back on even the players, um, coming from our background, you know, with the Jackson High School, um, you know, named after uh, one of the most racist, genocidal people ever to work this earth. Well, and, and what about their, their rival high school? I used to coach uh, Robert E. Lee High School, whose statue is currently in the process Robert of uh, – 
coming down really consider, in Richmond. I never really considered Lee as a rival, um, but I know it's one of the oldest uh, rivalries in the city. They used city. to play. Actually, used to play on Thanksgiving Day every year. And Did they? That's when they were all white schools, though. Still, but let's not okay. get into the weeds for our audience. Uh, this time, yeah, you know, but um, even with Jackson, that was a majority African American school. Uh, like our only white player was the kicker. Um, you hear me, Federhoff. Shut up. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, that's that's, that's not an uncommon it's thing. A theme. Football. It's a theme, um, yeah. But it actually was like it actually was like football in one of these camps and stuff that actually actually met white people. And right. uh, in college football at Weber International, I had to have my first white roommate, and you know that's when like football was the experience of kind of um, learning about other people's cultures, and right. learning about other people, other nationalities, and like how they function. And yet we come together to play sports and under the same banner, be on the same right. team. So I think sports has that has that aspect. Uh, being uplift in terms of bringing people together, but also when it comes to, you know, we could have never imagined taking political stances. Um, even with Marvin Wilson, the fact that head coach, to- you know, uh, Michael uh, Ravel, Marvin Wilson, uh, star defensive tackle at Florida State University, yeah, 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 who actually who actually could have been a first round pick last year, but decided to come back foolishly um should have got that money but he yeah. came back and and um you know um the coach was getting asked by what was it to sean reed or it was a journalist asked him about you know have you been responding to your players in regards to george oh Floyd's yeah mike question. you know they've had one-on-one meetings you know yeah. heart to heart about, about racism right yeah, Mike Norvell said he's had one-on-one meetings individually, and then Marvin Wilson retweeted <laughs> that and said that's bullshit, and he hasn't right. done that. And, and, of course, you know, the next day they had a team meeting where everything Yeah, but let's just pause. That, that stuff doesn't happen in college football. You talk about college football, some of the most controlled – look, I'll be honest, a personal anecdote. I was, you know, very close to going into uh, student-athlete player development, academic advising work, and uh, was uh, even – had gone to the University of Cincinnati and gone to a conference, kind of looked into it, and you hear so much. They talk about wanting – to empower their players, but they're also terrified of the repercussions of, you know, if a guy steps out of line, he's speaking and says something might step on a corporate sponsor's toe. He might come out and say something that, you know, makes the program projects a different image than what the program's trying to project. So the fact that we're seeing guys not only not be punished for that, but being praised now in this new kind of era that's emerged um, in the last few months with like, I don't know, COVID-19 and then George Floyd. Uh, I don't think we can under overstate just how big of a deal that is in, in a shift because uh, I don't know, maybe you, I mean, maybe you got a different take on that, but. No, hundred percent. I think it's a huge deal. And, but also, I mean, you know, Marvin Wilson is the best player on the team, so he can say that <laughs> other players. Can. Right. But I think we reached a point in which these coaches are, are under increased scrutiny. Um, Recruiting is a lifeblood, you know, how do you get these excellent athletes, um, mostly who tend to be African-American and black, to come to your school and maximize their athletic ability to make as much money as you can off of it? That's right. The, that's the hustle of college football. These boosters act as these investors. Uh, they're essentially investors, um, um, capitalists who basically invest in these programs and get dividends off of the revenue that these programs create. Um these coaches due to this climate, similar to the way you got these corporations that are having to put out these bullshit Black Lives Matter statements, even though let's say they don't probably treat the black workers unpaid them and give them. Yeah, but it wage. shows them. It shows them the kind of pressure on there now. We know they're it trying to the go pressure. off stuff, right? We and know also they're shows try to the go pressure. Off. It also shows the pressure on the coaches themselves because right. they're trying to recruit these athletes and these black kids to the college, and in one coaches not saying the right statement or saying or what what not best believe this other 
white coach is going to use that in recruitment against yeah. them. Um, so these coaches are under increased scrutiny to really be on their P's and Q's when in regards to race and racism right. because their whole program can be sabotaged. Right. And one coach, if you have a coach, like, let's say, so we bring back the Dabble Sweeney. Let's go, uh, please, man. Hey, hey, he was, so Dabble Sweeney, you know, he's known as being, you know, when all this stuff was popping up, even a couple years ago, he just called it, we don't have a race problem, we have a God problem. A love problem, right? These sort of metaphysical type ideas that we've lost our way kind of thing, right? You know, he's one of those right-wing televangelist TV I'm right, if football would not have worked out. He he would have been yeah. great, man. With Joel, he would have been a great pass. You, like you imagine, imagine him and Joel Osteen together sharing the stage, man. I mean, you'd be. I mean, they might have to get Reliance Stadium. Yeah. they already It'd got the weird. old Houston Rockets arena, turned it into yeah. a church. They might have It'd to go weird. get the football stadium next time and get Dabo in there. But I got a hot take <laughs> on Dabo real quick because honestly, I'm at a point now where, all right, I have a little bias and fan perspective stuff. Um, you know, I <laughs> but. It's not even about that for me. Dabo Sweeney's really at the point now where he epitomizes everything that's wrong with like college football. He's the guy that like has he truly is a believer in this notion of running his program like it's a fellowship of Christian athletes sort of deal. He goes in and look, you're in the deep south and like you got a lot of uh, you know mothers, grandmas like of, of kids he's recruiting that want to feel that they got a strong like kind of uh, religious community there because faith's really important to a lot of people he's recruiting. But I feel like he he long time has exploited that. And he's constantly – I mean, let's not forget the things he said about what if players knelt at Clemson, um, the kind of control. And I, I really think that that house of cards is going to start coming down. Once people – other coaches, the negative recruiting, that's one thing people don't know in college football is just how intense, I mean, and cutthroat this is, not just for the players, but these coaches and their families. Um, they have a job – they make a lot of money, but you almost can't – it. You know, they if it wasn't like that, year who, year. Would live, who would want to live that lifestyle where you're year yeah, to year? Yeah, will, not, yeah. You could potentially be out the door. That's potentially you will be out the door if the boosters don't, you know, like what you're doing. So Debo Sweeney, I think, has got a big, big, big uh, reckoning coming his way. And uh, we'll see how that plays out and certainly track it. But it, it's bigger than just Clemson well, football. Uh, right? Well, kind of my point, um, and it's something that, like a lot of white people do, especially college coaches um, who, let's say, are Christian, they tend to use – Christianity and God as uh, uh, um, they, they they use Christianity and God as a means to shield them away from any criticism in regards to them doing a deeper dive analysis on race relations. And Davos Sweeney especially, like for example, um, even with the COVID-19 crisis when folks were kind of talking about hey, um, you know, we're not going to be playing games, he used that to be like oh, God is, you know, Christian, you know, Bible, we're going to get through this, you know, this kind of you know, optimism of sorts, which was rooted in, of course, his boosters who for damn sure knew that they were going to play football because of not, and these millions are not getting made. So, of course, that's like a, a political cover. In the same way, let's say a lot of the fascists in Brazil are also far-right Christians and use a lot of this scary rhetoric, well, you know, the folks that support um, the president of Brazil. Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. Hey, that's not the Those people folks that support, are fascists. They support Christian Bolsonaro. Fascists. The people in Bolivia, the true government there. There's a fascist, reason why these right-wing Christian fascist governments, uh, like the one in Guatemala too, um, like these, they align with countries like Israel because fundamentally there's an ideological nexus, right, of these kind of countries. And uh, one another episode we'll get to later, and we got to do this here soon, Mike, is uh, getting on the uh, the sort of uh, the whitewashing of apartheid trips that uh, 
funded by Bob Kraft and and and, uh, and others to, to bring NFL players and other yeah. NBA players yeah. to Israel, right? So we'll Rob we'll finish on that devil. later. Yeah. But the devil's Sweeney point, just to finish up, he got into a huge controversy over that, the optimism. And then he gets into a huge controversy, even with his statement in regards to George Floyd, other coaches mentioning specifically racism. Right. Um, and he kind of just absolves it with this, like, kind of pseudo-Christian rhetoric about, you know, we all, you know, God's children. And, and don't forget and the, then, fo- the Football Matters t-shirt. The, yeah, so I was just about to mention that, the Football Matters t-shirt, in which, you know, you got everybody's with <laughs> Black Lives Matter. He wears a Football Matters shirt like a fucking dweeb. So like yeah. I, I'm, no, I'm hey, just hey, happy I'm, I'm, Dabo. I'm happy work, he's man. getting the shit that he deserves but, because man, I, I'm enjoying it. He's totally full of shit. And, and the fraud he built, I hope it's going to be coming down because uh, it's about time. Uh, one thing you mentioned something with Jordan real quick. I just couldn't help but think about the parallel now. To think about the times and how activism works. A lot of people get pessimistic. Someone like Jordan, like look, I bet he was affected by George Floyd, but let's not forget this happened to Rodney King back in L.A. in 91, and it was on film. And you had Craig Hodges, who I got his picture up there behind me, um, who's the hero of mine. I've, I've gotten to know him, uh, read about him more and more uh, here recently, you know, pressing him. We got to do something. We got to do something. The Rodney King thing was, was just an outrage. What does Jordan say? Oh, I, I don't really know that much about it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know enough about the facts. I can't really say anything because there wasn't the pressure. Hodges was out on the island on his own. He didn't have the movement backing. So now you're seeing with the movement backing, you're seeing the mass people coming to the streets. Sure, you're going to have Democratic Party people, liberals try to co-opt it, turn it into something that's not, have cops kneeling. But the stuff, while I was pessimistic for a few days, seeing some of the – I'm up here in Washington, D.C. right now, and I have been for the last couple of weeks, and seeing the ebb and flow of the protest movement there – um, I think I, maybe I was a little too pessimistic because in DC there's a, a huge sort of like liberal NGO apparatus, and it's like a, it's maybe a special thing that doesn't really reflect the whole nation. When I saw what y'all did down in Jacksonville, uh, that really showed me in other places around the country too that the militancy is there. But someone like Jordan, I bet he was affected. We don't know what's in his heart, but there's a big difference. In 1991 he's not going to speak out on Rodney King, even though there's video, right? And he's got his teammate, Craig Hodges, imploring him to. Um, but yet now, because we've seen the space that's been created where he realizes it's a legacy thing and that his legacy is actually going to be tarred by that, even though early in his career, he thought the opposite, that by speaking up was going to be the problem. So that's right there for people that are losing hope, for people that feel like maybe things are not – where we need to be and uh, that a lot of this stuff is being co-opted. And you see that clown of a sheriff up in Flint, Michigan, talking about this cop hurts people. We're going to turn this protest into a parade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, my colleague at, at the gray zone, Anya Parenfeld did a great piece recently, just totally blowing the lid off the fraud that that guy is uh, making money off every phone call going in and out of the jail there in Flint, Michigan, um, a town that's dealt with, you know, enormous problems and, uh, well, just keep your mind, keep your eye out for Sheriff Chris Swanson. This guy's going to be trying to capitalize off that. So, but we know that's going to happen. So, I think that shows the power of some of the stuff we've seen. And Mike, people like Mike, they've been organizing in the streets, um, built long-standing relationships with people. Deserve a lot of the credit for that. But um, anything else you want to hit on with any of those? I mean, like the, the Iowa football one was also the fact where so many of these things. I mean. Uh, the Texas wide receiver basically said, you know, unless these things were addressed, he's not going to play. Uh, they would have been just dismissed out of hand. Uh, you're seeing at Iowa football, former players, James Daniels, I made reference earlier for the Chicago Bears offensive lineman talking about they got their strength and conditioning coach on administrative leave now. 
And Mike, you know this, like as well as strength and conditioning coaches in college football are as every is as important as anyone because they can be with the players year round, but the other coaches can't be. And Iowa has this tradition of a really strong strength program. And uh, players talked about like guys coming up, you know, putting them down. But you got tattoos, you got to try to escape almost your identity, run away, and almost force this idea of like assimilation. And if you don't assimilate, you're just going to be back in the hood and your life's not going anywhere. And people are finally coming to a point where, you know, it's not okay to say it. And there's going to be a price to pay. And I think that that shows the power that's being built. And uh, you can take yeah, I think it's similar. I, I think it's similar with like a lot of football teams and this rhetoric and kind of, um, especially racist rhetoric you hear from some coaches who are trying to morph these young boys into men. Um, it's really a means to establish discipline. And that's what I think that's essentially a racist sort of discipline. It's no, no different than in the military when, you know, I, I have friends and stuff who try to join the army and they're, they're like drill sergeant says racist shit and they respond and they get kicked out of the army. You know, I mean, it's very similar, um, especially in regards to the rhetoric. So I think you're seeing a different society with a no tolerance for that type of bullshit. People are fucking done with this coach who can say all this racist shit um, and get away with it. That's not going to happen anymore. And these coaches are going to have to adapt to that shit because traditionally football has been kind of this place where it's kind of a, um, the, the coaches who mostly tend to be white, especially at the college level. Um, it's, it's an implied like, oh, you know, I coach black kids, you know. Well, it's a fatherly type like thing, right? A they, fatherly they, type they, of they, thing. They were, they were but then there's the racial like, dynamics with that that right. occurs. Um, and I think that's something that is changing and shifting because the, the black players are getting more conscious of who they are, what their race is, what part, what class they're in, and they're using their voice to really speak out. Um, and that even kind of brings me to uh, with the Drew Brees situation. You know, Drew Brees is a star NFL quarterback, um, future Hall of Fame quarterback, who made comments in regards to uh, was asked an interview question about potential protests with people kneeling. And as a result of that, he replied, of course, the brand, you know, two years ago, the same bullshit, you know, my father, grandfather in the military, we shouldn't kneel. He got so much fucking visceral reaction from that. He got reaction from uh, Cam Jordan, a star defensive end. Um, he got a visceral reaction from his star wide receiver, Michael Thomas. Who- uh, what about Alvin Kamara? And even Alvin Kamara went into a deeper dive about how it is to be a black person in America and went on more interviews. So Drew Brees had to back down and he had to apologize for that. And then Trump, like an idiot he is or whatever, um, he tries to bring this issue back up, makes a tweet. I support Drew Brees and his right to, um, you know, support the flag, blah, blah, bullshit, bullshit. If this was two years ago, that may have worked. But right. what happened was even Drew Brees had to repudiate Trump tweeting at him and say, we have to listen to the black community and fight racial justice. So right, right. seeing a shift in the material in the material conditions of society, that racist rhetoric publicly isn't being allowed in all spaces. Well, like, well Mike, I'm not, I mean, not immune to it. Mike, well, well, what about, I mean, whoever thought really in recent times we would see President Trump going off on Roger Goodell and the NFL for potentially saying that his tweet, crazy tweet he brought out last night. We can show it up on the screen here um, while we're doing this. And uh, you can take a look, but it's like, it shows how unhinged he is. He's a Goodell of all people is even feels in the NFL. Let's be get one thing straight. NFL is never going to just do the right thing to do the right thing. They're in a, they're a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar enterprise, right? They have relationships with their ownership, uh, the 32 owners are very much connected to some of the most insidious, uh, you know, uh, 
enterprises in this country from, you know, the, the coal and, 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 you know, oil and, and, and military industrial complex and private prisons all the way down the line. He's not coming out saying that unless he's got pressure on him, unless he's got that kind of, uh, you know, that he's making a calculation that if he doesn't do it, there's a bigger price to pay. And now he's got Trump coming at him, basically accusing him of saying it's okay to kind of restart this movement. So real quick, we're going to play uh, the uh, about a one minute clip of like the player, all these players reaction that was not sanctioned by the NFL. And it's ironic that then Roger Goodell quotes these players, some of them, including Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Tyron Matthew um, and others. Um, uh, he quotes the most directly in his statement and where they're all talking about without the shield as Desmond Howard points out, without the NFL logo, the need to fundamentally change and transform. So let's listen real quick and then we'll react. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Garner. I am Laquan McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown Jr. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, we the National, National Football, Football League, League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black, black lives, lives matter. matter. Black lives. Uh, Mike, what do you make of just hearing from the NFL players and then hearing the power of that message is so powerful that then Roger Goodell feels like he's got to actually adopt it, say that he stands in solidarity and make a statement to the point where he knows doing that is going to alienate and make the president mad who he has a good relationship with, yet he still feels like he's got to make that calculation. What kind of power does that show? It shows a it shows a strong power, especially in regards to the workforce. The NFL players are the workforce. I mean, you may see them as millionaires, people make hundred thousands of dollars, but their boss is making billions. <laughs> so right. there's a there's an exploitation of labor that occurs. So these players are starting to identify themselves, of course. You know, I I'm sure everyone knows they're black, but they identify themselves with the cause that is like say black freedom, the black freedom struggle. Right. And they're also identifying the power that they have as the players, as the voice, um, in order to use that platform to advance an agenda that's going to benefit them, but also other black people. Right. Um, and I think that consciousness is something that we're seeing in um, all over the country. Um, there's no coincidence that, you know, a lot of these corporations are saying the same bullshit rhetoric about that we support Black Lives Matter, et cetera, et cetera, because they know um, with their consumers, they have to make it, they can't seem like a racist company because they lose a lot of money. Um, they also know that they can't seem like a racist company, at least superficially, even though folks know a lot of these companies, 99% of them have a lot of racist policies in regards to the black workforce or 
you know, other people of color. Or, or other just ter- terrible policies. I mean, let's just like you mentioned. Terrible like policies God. in general, right. yeah. Terrible policies in general. But like like, like I was saying, um, they know that they have to at least show their workforce that right. or their labor pool that, hey, we're not racist like any other companies are racist. So you can't view the NFL outside of the vacuum of itself being right. Hard. So a conglomeration real quick. of corporations that exist and the, and the head of that corporation, the guy who serves the interests of these ruling class billionaires is Roger Goodell. So he has to take a stance that is fundamentally speaks out against racism. Notice he didn't speak out against police um, violence, though. Um, Notice he didn't mention Colin Kaepernick's name by yeah. name either. So very. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, even with a lot of these company statements, you know, they're talking about racism and Black Lives Matter. They're not talking about killer cops. No, <laughs> they're no, like, no, no, no. They're, they're avoiding that like the plague. And I uh, think that's the next step that, you know, the grassroots is going to have to push everybody on because, you know, um, like what the, <laughs> like, uh, like they're making it. And it kind of leads to the whole, the point of even with the George Floyd case and the kind of direction you're seeing from the country, but even especially from the liberals, conservatives, whatever, is they're trying to make it into an individual case of a racist police officer. Right. And this officers were just so racist and you know we got to get rid of these bad racist officers the bad apples racism racism is and it is is racism but it's also the police is an institution of uh class oppression right and the class that controls the police um which is white supremacist ruling class is carrying out that oppression through the police force so the laws that were passed the police are carrying that out mass incarceration the police are the first people right that people see when it comes to going to jail is the cops first. So right. I can't discount that. Um, we need total uh, institutional community control of the police or right. uh, empowerment of the people over the police to really see it affect. So I'm loving these companies talking about racism and wanting to get right. rid of it. Great. Yeah. But let's deal with the cops because they still have guns and they still have the ability to kill people. So it's not just one individual person um, who's a bad cop who's killing people and he's racist and we need to do better screenings. No, right, it's the yeah. institution that breeds this. Right. It's an institution. Uh, um, we have a, a criminal injustice system that's institutionally and criminal criminalizing passing legislation that is targeting uh, press nationalities in this country. Right. So that's the problem. You know, it's not an individual solution of one individual officer or one racist act. It's on, an institutional I mean, I, problem I, that I, produces I, racism and white right. supremacy and carries this out to its final end, which is the death of George Floyd or the death of Lamont Arbery. Right, right. And so many others whose names are anonymous. So many others, because sure. they, they, they shouldn't be. And we should be saying all of them. I know um, there's, there's, we could go on and on, you know, Eric Gardner, who people know about in Staten Island, but, uh, just that we could go on the list, but we got to keep it moving real quick. Um, I want to play a clip right here. Uh, and then we'll react. Um, it's uh, a little bit of Desmond Howard, Mike Greenberg, and then quickly from Jalen Rose. Um, I especially like this Desmond Howard clip because you look behind him, you'll see Paul Robeson, who I want to do an episode with us um, coming up here soon on who Robeson is and why I think he is the most powerful human being really in the 20th century at uh, American culture. Uh, but he's got the nice record, Paul Robeson, Songs of My People, to side note. But more importantly, just to sort of get a reaction of where people in mainstream and sports are coming from, before we play it, I want to kind of like point out, think about how the people like Stephen A. Smith, these mainstream pundits, how they're reacting now and trying to triangulate their positions, realizing that, you know, they don't want to be stuck in this box with like being like a Jason Whitlock or being someone who's now, that that's not in, right? That's been something that's been, so 
you're seeing even Stephen A. Smith start to ramp the rhetoric up. You're starting to see. So, look, people have different motivations, and we can know that, but we can still, like, understand that the fact that people who are motivated primarily by the bottom line as opposed to uh, just the principle of it and the, and the fight for justice and the desire to, to, to uh, overcome, not just overcome, but defeat these systems of oppression, if they're speaking on these things and becoming more militant in their rhetoric and on a daily basis and calling people out, it's showing that, 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 that there's, there's a serious dynamism to what's happening now. There's change in the air, and we don't know where it's going to go, but it's going to require organization, it's going to require discipline, and it's going to require people developing and being willing to further their political education. So let's hear real quick about like Desmond Howard's take. He was the former Super Bowl 31 MVP with the Green Bay Packers and Heisman Trophy winner from the University of Michigan, then NBA star uh, Jalen Rose, um, and uh, we'll react on the backside of it. I have to say that I was actually looking for some NFL insignia. I was looking for the shield, which didn't come up once. I noticed that they were all dressed in civilian clothes. No one had on the jersey because the jersey has the NFL logo on it, too. So what they're doing is tremendous, but I want to make sure that they keep going forward with that that movement and that they also hold the NFL accountable. Make the NFL Roger Goodell them get behind their movement so their voices can be heard even louder. Great start for those young men, but they need to make sure that the NFL and Roger Goodell, who I believe owes Colin Kaepernick an apology, that they get behind this movement also. You know, it felt to me as I was watching it, Jalen, as though they were demanding action. It is one thing to say the right things, and it is another thing to actually do meaningful things. Now, I do not want to shortchange the fact that many teams in the National Football League have taken meaningful action financially and financially and beyond that in the four or five years that we have been talking about here. But it sounds to me like these players are saying once and for all, People need to start doing stuff. The time for talking about it is over, Jalen. The time to actually start doing things has arrived. Because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And look at the sports dynamic. The NFL has represented itself as the shield and not necessarily marketed its players. It's actually marginalized its players. They have restrictions after high school. They have a salary cap. They don't have guaranteed contracts. They just lost, in a lot of people's opinion, their most recent negotiations with the NFL. And so even mm-hmm. though we are the labor on the field, we're not in ownership, not many GMs or presidents, very few coaches, but we're allowed to be the entertainment and the labor. And so if they continue to carry this message that we're bigger than the score of the game, that could be power, a powerful domino as it continues to fall. All right, so we're back. There's a lot to dive into there, and I want to break it down into three things. We have what Desmond Howard says at the beginning. We have Mike Greenberg, and we have what Jalen Rose says. Um, I'll take real quick uh, Desmond Howard's thing, and then I'll let Mike uh, hop in on uh, Jalen Rose or, or Mike Greenberg. We can both kind of hit on that. But Desmond Howard makes a point. This was recorded before Roger Goodell made that statement. And what he's responding to is the player message from Patrick Mahomes, Tyron Matthew, Odell Beckham, Ezekiel Elliott, a number of the players we mentioned earlier. Um, and he's saying there wasn't an NFL shield. I want to see Roger Goodell actually come out and take action. That was a few days ago. All right, three days ago, I think, to be precise. And now we're actually seeing that that's exactly what's happened, right? So pressure works. Activism works. And this is like just – and if this is happening in mainstream – you know, media, ESPN, which is owned by Walt Disney, you know, that's not even going to, you know, we know that's not going to be some kind of militant rhetoric. 
So we know that that's not the masses are already ahead of this. Right. And people in the streets understand this better. And now we're getting the system, the establishment having to react and find a way to try to make sure they don't get left behind and, uh, and, and look like they're on the wrong side of history. Uh, with Mike Greenberg, he's talking straight up about concrete action. Mike Greenberg is, I always saw like this nerdy little ESPN commentator. He used to be on Mike and Mike. And Mike, you you remember that, right? They always kind of made that theme about the nerdy little Mike Greenberg with the jock, you know, juxtaposed with the jock Mike Golick. And so Greenberg's like, we need concrete action. It sounds like they're making demands. I mean, I don't know, man. You, you go ahead and speak for yourself. And then Jalen Rose talking about we're the labor on the field, right? And you know, it, it, there's – I I don't know. It, I, think it's it's like, talk, I think it goes to the entire point we've been saying, the empowerment right. of the players, the ability and the, and the strength that these players have um, in regards to taking action, in regards to even pressuring those above them to take action, and the fact that they're maximizing the political climate that we're in now to really use their voice and establish a precedence in which they can use it in their future. Um, without what was happening in the grassroots, they wouldn't have the same ability to do that. But I think, what, what as we said throughout this podcast is that the fact that there's a heightened uh, movement out there that's giving these players the political cover to take these more drastic chances and ha- take these more drastic stances, not necessarily drastic, but a, well, a I mean, stance drastic, that they normally wouldn't yeah, take. Right. You have in comparison to the, the standards we've been used to, sadly. Yeah, 100%. And they, they would really take that and maximize it. And also force the ownership, force the bosses, really, their bosses to take a similar stance and right. make them actually, you know, do something. Right. Um, and not that it's like them, these owners making a bullshit statement saying they support Black Lives Matter is, is doing something, but it's making racist people uncomfortable. And I think that, that's always that, a goal. And, and that's no small thing. The, I mean, that's not a small. So if the racist sharpens right, the contradictions. Leaders, and Trump are getting upset. It's usually a positive thing, uh, except right. when it comes to Russia Gate. But it's <laughs> except when it comes positive. to Russia Gate, right? Yeah, yeah. It's usually a positive thing, and I think we should support that. And I think we should move forward with it. All right. Well, cool. I, I think we're getting near the end. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We're going to be doing a lot of these going forward, and I mentioned some of the issues we want to continue to hit on, and we'd love to have listener feedback. Um, I'm here, been broadcasting uh, tonight from Washington, D.C. I'm up in the, live up in the New York City area now. As I've mentioned, though, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida originally. Uh, anyways, Mike Sampson's down there doing great work in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, Mike, why don't you tell people how they can hit you up on Twitter and kind of like your, you know, your background and how to get a hold of you and uh, – kind of, you know, just what you're doing going forward a little bit. You can find me on um, Facebook, um, Michael Sampson II. That's two eyes. Um, but also, um, organization, I'm an organizer with Jacksonville Community Action Committee. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Find out what we're up to. Um, I'm yeah. also on Twitter at Brother Flourish and right. on Instagram at Mike Flourish. So, right. I'm actually banned on Twitter for a couple of days. <laughs> um, which is why I know, Nate, you've been tweeting at me. I can't respond. Oh, all right, all right. Did, did you did you uh, you offended the Twitter gods? Uh, yeah, I called. Uh, um, yeah, I called a famous female black rapper who um, said some anti-black stuff. I call her a certain expletive. That uh, well, you say. know, I mean, hey, props it on you, man. Hey, you're mixing things up, so that's what we want to do. And the expletive is not right. like a, not like a misogynist. I call right. her right. Uh, yeah. um, the c word. 
for that black people can call other black people if they're right. Being right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Find me on there. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got you, man. I appreciate it. So like uh, Mike's down in Jacksonville, I'm here in Washington, DC coming at you where Dan Snyder of the Washington football team, I'll, we'll keep it politically correct tonight, uh, has yet to issue any kind of statement still. And it's probably hiding out in his mansion somewhere along the Potomac River. But we'll see if he emerges at some time here and recognizes that maybe even his team is one of the most backwards reactionary teams in the NFL um, has to come out and, and do something. So we'll see how that evolves. And if players, uh, you know, here, here in the District of Columbia that play uh, for them, play for Washington, if they're going to feel uh, comfortable, uh, you know, speaking up and, and, and having the same backing maybe of other teams. Is there going to be a difference between what team you're on and the kind of support you're going to get? And I think that's going to be interesting to see that going forward because we could see a real isolation of certain owners that continue to try to um, punish players and whatnot. So it'll be cool to kind of see how this plays out. Um, I, I'm excited, honestly. It's been a tough time. People are struggling. I don't want to make, uh, you know, it's you know, this is it's a devastating time for a lot of folks. But with change, uh, there comes the possibility for transformation. And uh, I, I firmly believe uh, that, you know, in, the, in looking at sports and re- recognizing that whether you like it or not, um, ignoring the power that the ruling class itself has put in sports is, is that you do it at your own peril because they have developed sports as a way to market American soft power to the world and show America that from the lens they want. But just like when factory owners and, you know, the Industrial Revolution, they brought in all these peasants to the cities and developed the new emerging proletariat working class, um, you have to have labor to make that happen, right? And you can't just always control that and force them to kind of – so there's a sub, there's a great subversive uh, – Opportunity, and I, I, and I, a lot of people hear subversive, and they might think like, "Oh, that's, that's wrong." But no, we people need to subvert from within. People need to. That's how power uh, dynamics change. Power is not a dirty word; it exists. It's about who holds power. So um, we're going to look to continue to analyze power, analyze sports, analyze politics, and love to hear feedback from everybody else. You can hit me up on Twitter at Nate Wallace Nine, the number nine, um, and on uh, Instagram at, at Wallace underscore Nate. Um, next time I'll probably be coming from you up in either New York City or Jersey City where I live. And uh, Mike, continue to look forward to it. Um, and uh, keep doing what you're doing down there. So uh, uh, we'll go ahead and sign off for tonight. And uh, y'all keep fighting. All right. Take care.